The NFL is now down to its final game of the year. What has felt like an eternity to get here, we are finally here. It is the Chiefs and it is the Niners. It feels like deja vu. We will cover that game, but we're going to talk about the events that unfolded before it got there. We're going to talk about the one of the biggest collapses that we've seen actually recently and how one team overcame being down such a deficit and how they got here to the Super Bowl. But I have returned. I am back from my hiatus, and I am your host, Matthew Raritan, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. What is going on, everyone? It is such a pleasure to be back here. I missed all of you. Hope you guys missed me as well. But I know the fort was being held down by two of the greats here. And I'm going to actually start by introducing them. First, we've got David Street. What's up, everybody? And real quick, I don't I don't think this is Matthew. Uh, I, I, I think Taylor Lewan uh, took over. I think he lost some weight and got a voice change operation. So welcome, Taylor, to the show, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's kind of like Joe Thomas. You know, after you retire, you lose all this weight and uh, start slimming down. You got to eat that McDonald's all the time. But yes, thank you. Thank you. But uh, we also have Ed Smith. Welcome, y'all. And yes, guys, I mean, this NFC and AFC championship games, I mean, we are now seeing, like I mentioned before, a deja vu situation here of the two teams that are representing in the Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. But how they got here isn't as likely as kind of we thought, uh, whereas the the Chiefs weren't even the favorites in their games, whereas the Niners were. But when you watch the game, you started thinking, Niners may not actually pull this one out. With the Chiefs, I, I just felt like they didn't even look the best. But here they are. It doesn't really matter. They won the game, and they're here in the Super Bowl. But... I want to talk about the Chiefs and kind of how they got here, but more importantly, the team that they faced and what happened to them. And that team, well, that's the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore Ravens were the number one seed. They were going into the playoffs as the best team in the NFL, being, you know, having the consensus MVP in Lamar Jackson and that very stout defense that we've seen throughout the whole year. Well, did they meet their their match? Well, they kind of did because the Kansas City Chiefs won the game 17-10 to where a lot of people might have thought with these two star caliber quarterbacks, this might have been such a dual shootout type of game. Uh, well, it wasn't quite that, but that's what happens when you actually have two legit defenses as well. And I want to talk more later about this Kansas City defense, but I want to talk about more of this Ravens offense. They just could not click. They are used to firing on all cylinders. They are a tough team to cover because you don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to run the ball or if they're going to hand the ball off to their running backs or if they're going to throw it deep downfield to Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, or go to their star tight end and Mark Andrews and lately Isaiah Likely. So you 
usually see a very well-balanced team on offense. Well, that's not really what we saw at all. And 10 points for the Ravens, that does not happen often. And as a matter of fact, before this game, that only happened twice this year where the Ravens had only scored 10 points. And who was that against both those games? The Pittsburgh Steelers. I have to throw that in there because I am a Steelers fan. But there's actually more to it and why I'm mentioning that. The second game that they played, I'm not going to really count that. they The Ravens, this was week 18. They were playing their their uh, backups. Their, their starters were resting because they had already clinched the number one seed. Yes, a loss is a loss, but I'm not really going to count that as far as their 10 points that they scored. But their first game, that's that's a different story when they played the Steelers. But this 17-10 to 10 seems to be a trend because, yes, they lost to the Steelers twice 17-10. to 10. Well, they also lost to Kansas City 17 to 10. And what's even crazier about this is there's a rumor going around that actually the Chiefs had reached out to the Steelers on how to defeat the Ravens. What can they do to actually contain Lamar in this Ravens offense? And so, well, if that is the case, the, the Steelers have the recipe for success. Granted, you're talking about two different teams here, but the Steelers do tend to play well against the Baltimore Ravens, but that's what happens when you're playing your rival, just like we've talked about on here before with college football. You could be the you could be the best Alabama team ever, but you play Auburn, well, you know, who knows? Auburn, Auburn could beat you. So it, it doesn't matter because it's a rivalry game. But the Chiefs, they did everything correctly. Lamar Jackson did not look comfortable at all. This isn't the Lamar Jackson that we saw pretty much this entire year. Granted, yes, he outthrew yardage-wise uh, Mahomes, but that's the thing. Is Mahomes didn't, didn't need to out outthrow him. Mahomes was comfortable for the most part where he was at, and although 17 points is all they put up, the Chiefs, for the most part, looked pretty comfortable on what they were doing on offense, especially when you're playing a defense like the Ravens. Tell you what, the Ravens do have a very scary defense that I enjoy watching. And I'm a Steelers fan, but I enjoy watching them. Seeing Kyle Hamilton and how much he's grown this year, that guy is going to be a tremendous safety for a while. I really enjoy watching him. And of course, Roquan Smith being the best linebacker in the league, inside linebacker specifically. Uh, it's just, as a football fan, it is a joy to watch them on defense. But when you're playing Mahomes and this Kansas City Chiefs dynasty, you have to do everything correct. You have to do everything right. And, well, they didn't. And I want to give credit to actually... Well, the whole team, but there's one person that I've actually talked about on here before that deserves so much credit, and that's Steve Spagnuolo. What he does in the playoffs with this Chiefs defense is probably one of the best coaching jobs I see almost every single year. Just when you think he, he can't get any better or outdo himself, he goes and he does even better. And this was a master performance, in my opinion, with how he coached that defense. They blitzed them 50% of the time. I mean, they were on them like white on rice. That's how much that this defense was on Lamar Jackson and this Baltimore Ravens offense. They did not let them click at all. And I think that was very vital. I uh, and, and another vital part to the Ravens not really being able to get their edge is these penalties. Penalties will 
can easily lose a game for you, can kill momentum. And we saw that, especially down the stretch with the Ravens, <coughs> Zay Flowers. Um, although I, I, I don't want to say that I, I wasn't a big fan of the call because I get that there are certain rules in place, but there's just some rules that you kind of just have to let them play. But Zay Flowers, though, when it mattered, he did, you know, taunt and then cause a penalty, which, you know, kind of killed a big play momentum. And then we all saw what happened shortly thereafter with his fumble going into the end zone. So, um, but penalties itself, it, the Chiefs and more specifically, Travis Kelsey, he's going to get under your skin, guys. He is going to just make your skin just crawl and everything. And that's exactly what he does to me when I watch him. I'm like, man, that guy, <laughs> you know, he just gets under your skin. And you have to do your best to compose yourself. And if you don't, guess who's going to pay? You guys. And that's what happened is you guys paid for all of that. I mean, you saw Kyle Van Noy come up and hit him in the helmet. Guess what? It caused a penalty. The Chiefs have been there almost every year, guys. You have to know that they know how did every play that there is that they're going to get under your skin, they're going to cause penalties for you, and they're going to walk away laughing with the W. And that's exactly what happened. But here's my thing is, is there a lot of criticism going on or a lot being put on Lamar Jackson? And is it fair? I think it is. And this is my reason. If you want to be great like Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to name drop Patrick Mahomes as great because that's exactly what he is. If you want to be great like him, you need to be able to show up and perform like him when he does. And that's all that Patrick Mahomes has done. We have seen this Chiefs defense being probably the worst team that Patrick Mahomes has had by far, even dating back to Texas Tech. And yet, where are they, guys? They're in the Super Bowl. So when it comes to you want to be great, Lamar Jackson, which I think I think Lamar Jackson can be, you need to perform when it means the most. And I know there's no I in team. It's not just one person. But I'm going to tell you this, guys. If Patrick Mahomes is able to do it with this team as far as on offense like he has been doing, Lamar Jackson should easily be able to do the same, especially with the team that he has. Granted, he has lost some running backs to injuries but he still has a far better team on offense than uh, than Patrick Mahomes does. So as far as it being put too much on Lamar, no. I think it needs to be, especially when he's going to be the consensus uh, NFL MVP. So I, I really think that that needs to be addressed, that yes, there's a lot of criticism going on on him, and yes, one player isn't a team, but if you want to categorize yourself as great, like Patrick Mahomes, you got to be able to do the things that he does when it matters the most. And if you don't, you're just going to be known as that regular season MVP, but never when it came to the postseason. So that's how I feel about that. Um, and I'm going to talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes here in a second. But first, I want to talk about this show called Unfiltered. Unfiltered, guys, you know, in 2024, the conservative movement is more ideologically diverse than ever and infighting threatens to divide us well unfiltered is a space where folks from all over the right can openly share opinions and debate our differences in a laid-back atmosphere where it's just friendly conversation so go ahead and join Britta 
and special guests to chat about everything from politics to culture to religion to relationships. Catch Brit Unfiltered Live on X, Twitter, whatever you call it, Apple, Spotify as well. You don't want to miss out on that. You're going to catch some great content. So go ahead, check out Unfiltered by Britta. But Ed, Patrick Mahomes, is he at that GOAT status? Where is he right now, and how do you feel about what he has been doing? Well, I'm going to not put him at the GOAT status Mm -hmm. simply because longevity is a part of being the GOAT. And Patrick has only been in the league six years. Now, granted, they have been six of the most productive years that we have ever seen in this league. You know, when you're talking about number of victories in the playoffs, he is currently tied for third in the first six years of his career. The only people that he's behind is Joe Montana at 16 wins. He's got 14. And then, of course, Tom Brady, who's got 35. You know, so if he stays in the league as long as Tom does, we could be saying, you know, he is the most accomplished. But right now, he is the best at this point because he is currently the best combination of talent and accolades that we have seen in such a short amount of time uh, of somebody being in the league. You know, he has, you know, fun stat here. uh, Mahomes has an 824 win percentage in the playoffs versus Brady's 729. You know, that is an astounding number if you're doing a comparison side by side. Now, granted, Brady in his first six years, uh, very similar numbers uh, to what uh, Mahomes has, uh, but it, it just looks different. It's a different kind of thing because, for the most part, Brady had all those great defenses, and Mahomes has been really carrying the offense to be the dominant force of the Chiefs. You know, and he can't do it without a little help from his friends. You know, Andy Reid. He has brought five different quarterbacks to all pro status and four to the Super Bowl. You know, that we're talking Brett Favre, we're talking Donovan McNabb, we're talking Alex Smith, and now we're talking Patrick Mahomes all going to the Super Bowl under Andy Reid. That is an astounding uh, number of quarterbacks, you know, and it just goes to show, you know, what he brings. And Patrick Mahomes, to his credit, is elevating above the X's and O's that Andy Reid provides. And for anybody to be able to do that, that is an accomplishment unto itself. And when you're talking about uh, more help from his friends, you know, you're talking about the guy that gets under your skin more than Pfizer. You know, it is Travis Kelsey. Uh, he passed Jerry Rice and now has 156 playoff receptions versus Jerry Rice's 151. Now, total games to get there, Jerry Rice played in 29 playoff games. Travis Kelsey played in 21. So we're talking a difference of more than two catches a game over the course of their careers. And Travis Kelsey shows no signs of stopping. You know, unlike his brother who was, you know, out there yelling, uh, yelling, screaming, drinking uh, at the Bills game, you know, but Travis Kelsey, you know, he is really in that GOAT uh, 
status for playoff reset receivers. And when you do a comparison versus, you know, the other tight ends, because remember, Kelsey being a tight end versus Jerry Rice being the wide receiver, Jerry Rice has all the yards in the world versus uh, Kelsey's, uh, you know, five-yard hitches and option routes and things of that nature. But when you look at, you know, the the tight end that most people try and put in that conversation, Rob Gronkowski, yes, Rob had a higher per-catch yardage, uh, 14.2 versus 11.6, and he had 22 playoff games. This Super Bowl is going to be Travis Kelsey's 22nd playoff game, and he has more than 20 yards a game more than uh, Gronkowski has uh, on average uh, with what will probably be more than 60 catches over that same number of games. That is an astounding number for, you know, for Travis Kelsey. And it really goes to show the change that has happened in the NFL offense since Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson came into the league. They are it is so much more about, you know, being able to be creative as the quarterback, you know, in the run game as well as in the pass game, you know, and controlling the game between the numbers. And that's where a lot of that damage is right now with tight ends, with slot receivers, with running backs that run between the tackles. You know, but when you get to the outside, you know, we've all we have talked at length about Kansas City's wide receivers, but came through in the clutch. You know, you could not say that Marquez Valdez Scantling, you know, I know him well being a former, you know, being he was a former Packer. But one thing that I all have always said is when it comes to a time in which MVS is not supposed to catch a ball, that's when he's going to catch it. You know, if you just throw him a simple five-yard in route, he's going to drop it every time. But if he has to contort his body, do a backflip, and, you know, make a coffee, you know, he will catch the ball at that point. It is, it is insane. His actual percentage of catch per target goes from 50 to 62% when you get to the playoffs. That I, it's unlike anything I've ever seen from a wide receiver. You know, it's like he can't do it unless he is under extreme duress, you know, rather than something that is some that he is supposed to get out there and catch just because he's out there to catch it. It's really weird. Now, when you look, go ahead, David. No, it's okay. I'll let you finish your thought. I just have a couple things to add to it. I was just going to mention that Rasheed Rice, he has turned into the dude as far as wide receivers. You know, he's no Tyreek Hill. He's not nearly as fast, but he has a great combination of speed, elusiveness, and hands. His playoff catch per, uh, catch percentage so far is 80%, which is up only 3% from what it was during the season. But it's still showing that he is the guy that Mahomes is going to look for on the outside. You know, and, you know, when you're talking about Outside now, you have the inside, and you've got Pacheco running like a madman, you know, you know, in the middle of a, uh, the street fighting anchorman. That is an explosive offense that is going to be tough for the 49ers to get to. David, go. 
Yeah, so just a couple a uh, couple of thoughts. You know, like when you're comparing uh, Gronk to uh, Travis Kelsey, um, at, at this point, I will definitely agree um, that Travis Kelsey is a better receiving tight end than, than Gronk was. But Gronk was certainly no slouch. But we have to remember that what made Gronk so great wasn't just his receiving, but he was an absolutely phenomenal blocker. And I'm not saying that Travis Kelsey is a bad blocker by any means, but when you're comparing Kelsey to Gronk in terms of in terms of blocking, I mean, maybe I'm saying this because of my bias when he was with the Bucks for, for a couple of seasons, but I don't think it's even close. I mean, Gronk was a much, much better blocker than, than Kelsey was, in, in, my, in my opinion. And then finally, you mentioned Brett Favre, because, Ed, I don't think I actually knew this, but was Andy Reid the Packers offensive coordinator in 1996? Yes, he was. Actually, he was the quarterback. No, he was the offensive coordinator. Steve Mariucci was the quarterback's coach. Okay. And uh, there were several other big name coaches that was on that staff as well. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I actually knew that. That's re- that's really interesting, actually. There's a picture of them all standing on a staircase together, and it's like a who's who of uh, coaches from the uh, from the mid '90s to the uh, 2015 at least. Uh, we're talking yeah, John yeah. Gruden, um, Mariucci, uh, Andy Reid. You know, all under Holmgren. Uh, uh, and a couple of the uh, Jim Schwartz was on that staff, if I remember correctly. I mean, it's just insane how many great uh, coaches were there. Yeah, that, that that's that, that's crazy. But yeah, back to my point about Gronk and uh, and uh, Kelsey. I mean, like, there's a reason why when people talk about the greatest tight end of all time, Gronk gets gets brought up a lot. Um, and I think it's more so because of his uh, blocking ability. Again, not saying Kelsey's a, b- a bad blocker, um, but but yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I would agree with you on that uh, simply because, you know, blocking is not something that you can tangibly put a statistic to. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about receiving and how they work within the offense, you know, I would, you know, Kelsey's up there above Gronk, you know, just mm-hmm. from a number standpoint. I'm a big fan of the old school Keith Jackson, who was great on the uh, end of the uh, offensive line for the Eagles and the Packers. But you know, he was also a great tight end, you know, coming out of, you know, great receiving threat coming out of that. So your point is very well taken. Yeah. I mean, we, we, I feel like me and David kind of come from watching the Tony Gonzalez, the Antonio Gates, and you know, now we're seeing, you know, Travis Kelsey, the George Kittles, where although they can be physical, they're known so much for their receiving abilities and their routes that, uh, it, that that's all we we hear about you know the tight mm-hmm. ends nowadays just aren't really how they used to be but that's not a knock on them that's just kind of how football has evolved but Travis Kelsey is Mr. Reliable when it when Mahomes needs a guy you Kelsey's there and in the first half of the game I, I swear it was every other play all I heard was Kelsey's name because that's who Mahomes was throwing to. It just seemed like he was getting reception after reception. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many he ended up with, but it it seemed like at, at the at the end of the first half, 
Kelsey's name was talked about a lot and not because of Taylor Swift, but because he was catching a lot of balls from Mahomes because he was finding the gaps. He was finding the holes and Mahomes could easily go to him when he needed to. So uh, just the the connection they have and Mr. Reliability. But I I, I agree, Ed, when you say that he still has a lot left, but Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of talk of him retiring too. So uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see if that is it comes to fruition. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll just I'll just add like I I thought the Ravens were going to win. I picked them to win, but there was definitely this lingering thought inside my head, the thought of like, but this is Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and they're going to find a way to win. Oh, absolutely, they will, yeah. and that's exactly what they did. But talking about a team who found a way to win, well, let's talk about a team that found a way to lose. Yeah. That's the Detroit Lions and uh, the Forty ers And David, I'm going to have you talk about this game and just everything you saw. Well, you know, you know, guys, I mean, everything, the pretty much everything in the first half uh, went the Lions way. I mean, they were they were running the ball straight down San Francisco's throats. Uh, Jared Goff um, really, you know, didn't didn't do a lot, but he didn't need to. And he was certainly efficient with what he with what he did do. Um, and they just completely caught the 49ers um, off guard. Uh, going up 24-7 certainly could have gone up, uh, you know, gone up by 20, in, in, in my opinion. And then what changed? I know everybody's blaming the coaching for the second half. And, yes, yeah, certainly at the end of the day, if you have a collapse like that, then some degree of blame does have to fall onto the coaches, you know, specifically the fact that clearly they could have done a better job of, uh, of um, preparing them in the second half. But I think ultimately, guys, I think what it came down to was just was just execution. And yes, I think you can put some blame on the coaches, but I think more blame has to go on to the players because in the second half, the Lions defense just suddenly they, they forgot how to tackle. It was like I was watching uh, the Florida Gators de- defense out there with the amount of missed tackles they had in the second half. Right? Johnson right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah, and that's the other thing, too. What – CJ Gardner Johnson, what the hell were you thinking? Waving, waving bye to the fans. Like I understand, I understand that you guys were up big, but it was still only the first half, and you had to know that playing a team like the San Francisco 49ers, that they were going to at the very least come back, and that's exactly what they did. They came back and they and they beat y'all, right? Um, but I think it's execution more so than coaching because the coaches didn't make the they didn't make the players like miss their tackles. And how many drops? How many drops were there in the second half? Too many, too many for me to count. Okay, is it the coach's fault that that um, that the receivers were were dropping balls uh, left and right? I thought for the most part, I thought I thought Detroit's coaches um, did a solid job of putting the Lions players in a position to succeed. Clearly, um, but the Lions. The players just did not respond accordingly. Um, and now the 49ers are in the Super Bowl and we're getting the one Super Bowl that nobody wanted. And then, you know, you know, obviously I have a lot of thoughts um, when it comes to uh, that infamous uh, play call. Um, but I understand that we that we have an entire segment uh, dedicated to it in a few minutes. So I'm just going to uh, uh, save uh, um, save my thoughts for, for then. Yeah, you know... <laughs> Uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he looks like the biggest clown right now, and Baker Mayfield's loving all of it. Watching him, C.J. Gardner-Johnson couldn't even make a tackle in the game, and and then to to wave goodbye like that and then lose, it's like 
dude, you're a clown for that. But yeah, and like, yeah, hey, congrats on intercepting a tipped pass, you moron. Yeah, I know. And how the roles have kind of reversed. And what I'm getting at here is Kyle Shanahan's finally on the opposite side of a collapse. He's on the good side. Instead of the 28 yeah. to 3 infamous collapse, he's now looking at the 17 point collapse by the Detroit Lions. I mean, the Detroit Lions were controlling this game on all ends. And then all of a sudden, it's like they just didn't know how to play football anymore. And uh, it's we're going to talk about more about the play calling and, and certain things here and maybe how the game turned. But that IU catch, David, talk us through that. I mean, that was such a pivotal moment in the game. Oh, like when that IU catch happened, you just knew right then and there, well, the 49ers are, are going to win it. Like there are guys – there's some place happen where you just automatically know like what the result is going to be because it is such a momentum sh- shifting play. And that is, excuse me, that is exactly what we got from the IU catch. I mean, as soon as, as soon as I saw that immediately, my first thought is, well, congrats to the 49ers on their second Super Bowl appearance in three, <laughs> four years. Yeah, the irony of that catch is w- the same thing of when Julian Edelman made that p- catch against none other than the Atlanta Falcons, and where that ball was a centimeter from touching the ground. Mm-hmm. I knew right then and there, oh, there goes Tom Brady and the Patriots. There <laughs> they go. You know, I had yeah. win this Super Bowl. It was just one of those things, Ed. Same thing with the David Tyree catch. Yeah. You know, same thing with the Immaculate Reception. I yeah. You know, there's just certain plays where you look at in, in NFL history and you're like, well, this game's over. Uh, let's let's yeah. pack it up, guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait, you know, but you know who didn't pack it in? That was Christian McCaffrey. He had possibly the the best seven, eight-yard runs I have seen uh, just because once San Francisco got that lead, he just carried it carried it down the field, kept the clock moving. Because what is a winning team's best friend in the fourth quarter? A running clock. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a reason why I think even though Lamar is going to be the MVP, Christian McCaffrey has got to be the offensive player of the year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair for sure. Yeah. And so far, yeah. the MVP of the playoffs. I mean, he, it's not, he's not that he's had tremendous giant numbers. But it's the plays that he's doing, and I'm so glad you said that, Ed. The seven-yard runs, the eight-yard runs that sets up their team. I mean, and he's doing that on first down. So then you're having those chances on second and third down to get another easy first down and let that clock run and run. And, you know, with being a Duck fan, I remember this guy at Stanford. And I'm sure you guys remember when he was coming out of Stanford how a lot of the uh, – scouts felt about him going into the NFL and he's proven them all wrong. I mean, this guy is so talented that remember last year when Purdy went down in the playoffs and they were down to their four string quarterback, you know, they were like, just let McCaffrey do it. He could do it all. And I don't doubt that he probably could have, but you know, he's that talented. You, I think you can make the argument that he should have won the Heisman over Oh God, who was it who won that year? I think it was Derrick Henry who won that year, if I remember correctly. 
Let's see here. It might have been Derrick Henry. I'm trying to think that I, I know. I know he, he had the most all-purpose yards that year. I mean, he was over yes. 2,000 scrimmage yards easily. Yeah, there there was a year where Christian McCaffrey was a Heisman finalist, and he, and yes, he he did break some kind of record. I think that that's what it was, Matthew. I think it was Barry Sanders' record, if yeah. I remember correctly, from Oklahoma State. I, I believe it was, but but unfortunately, not enough people watch Stanford football, so. So yeah, when you're on the West Coast, unfortunately, and yeah. Pac-12 after dark, biggest joke if you're on the East Coast. But <laughs> I mean, dude, even on the West Coast, when I live there, I'm like, oh, I'm going to bed. No, you're not. Oregon's playing. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Washington State, ten o'clock. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, but that's just how the market is out there. But McCaffrey proving <laughs> all the the doubters and haters wrong. Left Carolina, got a better opportunity here in San Fran. So I'm really happy for him. I like him and George Kittle as well I mean I know he's one of those that you could also get under your skin but that's a guy who really backs it up and went to Iowa Iowa's becoming the tight end capital of the country we're seeing Dude, it so Iowa Iowa is a tight end offensive line factor I mean look at the amount of players that have come from there uh Sam Laporta George Kittle um uh, Tr- uh Tristan Warp TJ Hawkinson too yep and then is uh is Brandon Scherf s- still playing um, uh, I think he's retired, possibly. Okay, but he was a really good player when, like, when he when he was playing. Yeah. So and that, that's my point. That again, Iowa is a factory for offensive linemen and, and tight ends. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. But you know, I I think I think we should now talk about the, the these this play calling. Um, I'm gonna let actually David take this first here because I know he's got several things to say, but. <laughs> Dan Campbell is the the Brandon Staley of the Detroit Lions. He's the Dan Lanning of the NFL. Uh, when it comes to analytics and going forward on fourth down, that's your guy. And David, did it pay off? <laughs> well, sadly, no, it did not pay off. But let me let me say something. Like, if y'all watched the uh, latest short that I that I um, you know that I uh, put out, then you know how I feel about this. And I'm going to say some things that might might seem a little harsh, a little a little, a little mean. Um, but get over it. You'll uh, you know, you're a big boy. So, all right, listen. I have gone from merely not hating the call to now I now I think Dan Campbell 100% completely made the right decision, and I have the facts to to back it up. Okay. Because first of all, like before I, before I even get to, um, my, uh, my evidence here, um, we have to keep in mind that Dan, Dan Campbell's philosophy, philosophy of aggression is ultimately why the lions went from a joke to just, you know, one went away from the super bowl in, in three years. It's why they've got, gone from bottom beaters to division winners, um, in, in three years and why they were in the NFC championship game. So it's like, why on earth would Dan Campbell change his philosophy when this philosophy has been working for the Lions and why it is why the Lions are where they are today? But then I saw something on, on Twitter um, that to me ap- confirmed that yes, Dan Campbell absolutely made the right choice to um, to um, you know go uh, go for the pass rather than uh, kick the field goal. Uh, this is a tweet from Anthony uh, from Anthony Bellino. Um, and God help me if this is actually not true, but I believe it is true. The Lions were 15 of 20, 75%, at converting fourth and three or fewer in the regular season, and plus two of two in the postseason. Michael Badgley was nine of 20, 
or 45% in his career from 48-plus yards, which is the worst among uh, high-volume kickers in NFL history, stat via pro football reference. I'm sorry, but if you look at if you if you if you look at that and you and you're still like nah, bro, Dan Campbell still should have kicked it. I don't know what to tell you other than like you are willfully keeping your head in the sand. Okay, the, I, we have actual factual statistical data that tells us that Dan Campbell clearly made the right decision. No, it didn't. You know, it didn't go the way that he planned. Okay, big big whoop. Okay, bad bad execution that happens. And I think a lot of people need to get get it through their heads that bad execution does not automatically equal bad play calling. A lot of us fall for this, me included. You know, I certainly fall into the trap of, well, it wasn't executed right, but so that clearly means it was a bad play call. No, bad execution does not always mean bad play call. And listen, to all of you people who are ripping on Dan Lanning, I get it or I got it at first, but we have we have evidence to suggest now that he made the right decision, okay? So quit doubling down and just admit you were wrong, okay? You know deep down Dan Campbell made the right decision. Just own up to it and just admit it. But I know Ed disagrees with me because we communicate beyond beyond the show. So uh, I will I will let Ed talk and I will try my very best to uh, to not interrupt him and go all Skip Bayless on him. <laughs> go ahead, Ed. Okay, so if what you're saying is true then what you're telling me is Dan Campbell didn't do his job. Because if his kicker is that terrible, he should have had kicker tryouts every week until they got to this game, waiting for somebody to show up that can kick the ball through the uprights on a consistent basis. What you're saying is he just let him sit there and keep coming to the office and still not kick as consistently as he should have when we're in a league where if you are not kicking consistently from 45 yards and in, then you don't have a job. So how does this guy still have a job? That's that point Two, They had <clears throat> Dan Campbell gave the ball. The Lions gave the ball to the 49ers four times in the second half, two over on downs, one punt, and one fumble on a play call that looked like it was drawn in the sandlot and nobody knew which way they were going. So there was that one. So when you're talking about uh, these turnovers on downs, these were all within the range. Those, those two fourth downs were in the range of kicking field goals so you can extend your lead so it's that much harder for the 49ers to take the lead back from you. Nobody talks about the motivational factor of the defense getting the stop and then creating momentum for the offense to go down the field and score against you where you had no more points than what you had before. So don't tell me about, oh, well, they always you know go for it, so they should always go for it. No, you need to be able to be cognizantly aware of the situation so you can make the proper choice to keep the team down, your opponent down, you know, on the scoreboard and not just fulfill these fourth and three, you know, of your own volition uh, because you think that's what is going to win you by just reading the card that says, ah, screw it, let's go for it. 
you know, that's not going to get you, win you championships in the NFL. You have to be cognizantly aware of where you're at on the field and the time that's left on the clock. You, you know what? I, I will actually agree with you, Ed, um, that that Dan Campbell should have prepared his kicker better, or he should have simply had a better kicker. I think that's definitely a fair point, And that is the one point from you that I will definitely uh, agree, agree with you on. Matthew? Look, I mean, you guys remember this kicker? Maybe you do, maybe you don't, by the name of Adam Vinatieri. Yeah, I'm sure you, I'm sure you do. And, and the reason why I say that is we know him. Well, we know him because we're sport fans. But for the most part, people know him because how many Super Bowls did he win? With a walk-off field goal and an AFC championship game in a snowstorm, the postseason is when you are supposed to be at your best and to be able to be counted on. And that guy can be counted on to win you a game when it matters the most. And if you come playoffs, don't have a kicker that you can trust to kick a field goal in the NFL, I don't know why you're on a roster. But that 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 does you know come to a, a different point of, well, that Dan Gamble even do his job as a head coach, having a kicker with that such a horrible, uh, you know, record upon uh, that amount of yards. I mean, that's not good. But, and so that's why I brought up the whole Adam Vinatieri talk because, well, when it mattered the most, they could, the Patriots can count on him and then eventually the Colts, but the Patriots can count on him to win a Super Bowl or two. And that's exactly what he did. Granted, Tom Brady helped a little bit too to even get him in that situation. But my my the fact of the matter is that's how we know who Adam Vinatieri is because he made a name for himself to show up when it mattered the most. But I kind of want to take a little deeper dive though into these two teams that lost. And I'm actually going to start out with a quote right here from Dan Campbell himself. And that is, this may have been our only shot it's going to be twice as hard to get back to this point where we are at next year. Well, it's looking a little bit better right now, now that uh, uh, Ben Johnson's coming back for them. But there, there's still always an uphill battle, especially because you have people that are saying, well, maybe it was just a fluke, blah, blah, blah. But I want to talk about the Ravens just really quick, where they're sitting at salary cap-wise, because we know this is important come free agency. The Ravens right now sit at around $14 million under the cap. So they're in the clear, but not really. Their, their head's just above the water because after draft season comes, they're only going to be sitting at around $5 million. So it, it that that's just the drafts right there. That's not free agency. So, of course, they're going to have to do a, some restructures. They're going to have to work some things out. But being at $5 million, that's not even the worst part. Here's the worst part free agents that they're most likely going to lose. And I'm just going to talk about defense. Patrick Queen, Kyle Van Noy, Jadavian Clowney, and, of course, Justin Matabuke. And out of those two, you could make clear arguments that if they're going to retain any out of those four, the two that they want to focus on, of course, is Patrick Queen and uh, Matabuke. But those guys... Held, pretty much led their team when it came to sacks. So that's a legit, you know, uh, issue right there that these defenders are going to be free agency and they're sitting at $5 million after drafts. So that's going to be tough. But what's also tough is right now over the cap, 
has Matabuke at around $15 million a year estimate of his worth of what a contract's going to look like. And if they franchise tag him too, it's not going to be cheap either. It's going to be probably even worse. So you, it, he has an upside of around $21 million a year. So 15 to $21 million. They're going to have a tough time affording that. And Patrick Queen is probably going to be sitting pretty close to those numbers too with what he's been doing. He's He's been playing throughout his rookie contract. So the Ravens are going to be in a tough spot when it comes to bringing this team that they had this year back because of the cap issues and the free agents that are on their team that they're going to lose. So um, David, I mean – the we know that they're going to be towards the end of the draft in the in the first round. I mean, you got any predictions on who they may draft? Are they going defense? Are they going to get better on offense? You know, I actually think the Ravens could potentially uh, go in the direction of offense. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, if you look at the stats, um, Lamar Jackson was actually one of the most sacked quarterbacks um, in the regular season. I believe he was eighth or ninth, um, you know, uh, somewhere in that range. So I, I could see the Ravens grabbing, uh, I don't know, maybe Amarius Mims out of Georgia, assuming that he, uh, assuming that he uh, falls that far. Um, so that's just, that's just what I think, especially like, cause Lamar Jackson is still fair, uh, you know, fairly young. I mean, he's not like young, young, um, but he is still clearly in the middle of, of his, uh, prime. And when you have a guy who is supposed to be your franchise quarterback, what do you need to do? You need to protect him. So if I was the Ravens, my first priority would be, um, protection. But, uh, what do you think, Ed? Agree or disagree? I, there's a point where Lamar Jackson needs to have, you know, more weapons, but he also needs some protection. Uh, So it's kind of hard to look at either way. I mean, when we look at Lamar Jackson, when we look at Mike Vick, when we look at these very dynamic, explosive running uh, quarterbacks, you know, who was their running back? For for Mike Vick? For, For any of them. I mean, who really can go down the list of the running backs for these quarterbacks? And I say that to say they're not going to spend a whole lot on running backs because running backs in these systems, uh, they should just be pass blockers. Uh, they need, they need people to you know protect this guy. What, but also what would protect them is being able to stretch the ball down the field. You know, I had predicted that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to shell out in this game, and he didn't because Lamar Jackson never looked at him. He was wide open. When he when Lamar Jackson threw that interception in the end zone, I mean, did, did y'all see, did y'all see that tweet that uh, Odell Beckham Jr.'s dad, assuming it was his dad, uh, and, and not somebody, not a uh, um, a troll there account? Is, yeah, yeah. Did you guys see that? I did not. No, what did he say? Yeah, I don't remember what he said verbatim, but basically, um, without calling out his name, uh, blamed Lamar Lamar Jackson for the loss, and I think he said that his son needs a better quarterback player or something like that. Well, well, it's it's wide receiver, you know, wide receiver mentality. Well, if I'm not getting the ball, why not? Uh, <laughs> Odell needs a better knee too. So I mean, that's yeah. what we really want to talk, but you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if 
<clears throat> if he's available, the Ravens swoop in and get Brian Thomas Jr. out of LSU. I mean, at receiver. Can you imagine him and Zay Flowers? That would be a mm-hmm. great wide receiver tandem. And the reason why I throw that out is simple enough. Uh, I, this, uh, Sorry, I kind of sound a little contradicting here, but when the Bengals drafted Jamar Chase, when Panay Sewell was right there and that and they needed offensive line after Joe Burrow had just tore his ACL, that offensive line was horrendous, but they drafted Jamar Chase because, well, they had that connection and we we see how that well that's doing for them. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I it, he could get more weapons by bringing in Brian Thomas Jr. from LSU at wide receiver, having him and Zay Flowers, because having Odell there, I mean, this isn't the 2000, you know, 13 Giants or whatever, where he's making one-handed catches against the Cowboys. Odell is way past his prime, and unfortunately, he's just not going to be around much longer because of these injuries that have stacked mm-hmm. up. So yeah. that they may need to look to get another receiver out there. Another receiver that I would throw out there, uh, Adonai Mitchell. He's going to be around you know, at the back half of the first round, if not Xavier Worthy. Uh, both of the guys out of Texas. And Xavier Worthy is much more explosive, but I think Adonai Mitchell would be a great compliment to Zay Flowers. Yeah, I mean, because Zay Flowers is uh, it can be very explosive. I mean, we saw the catch, uh, the the deep uh, catch he made as well. Um, Brian Thomas Jr. being kind of a also a deep threat, but an overall receiver. I, I'm telling you guys right now, Brian Thomas Jr. will be the best receiver out of this draft class. Just mark my words. I don't even know what team he's going to. Just wait. He's gonna be the best receiver coming out of this very stacked draft class. Just, just wait. But, uh, but the Lions, Ed. I mean, how are they looking salary wise and free agents? Are they gonna be able to bring back this success they had? Uh, for the most part, uh, the the free agents that you see them have that they're going to be losing, which is gonna be thirty of them off that roster uh, from the end of the season. But the ones that really matter. The, the thing that's concerning to me is two defensive ends and four offensive linemen. You know, you know the top of the list is C.J. Gardner-Johnson, and I think we all kind of agree that uh, – Let me do Bye. Bye. You know, bar, whereas when you got Okwara, you've got Jar- Charles Harris, which are coming into, you know, they're do- deep within their prime right now. You know, you're going to get the best of what they have at this point, but they're not top end guys. So you can probably get them on a pretty decent deal. Uh, But you're talking on the offensive line, Graham Glasgow, Jonah Jackson, Vitae, Dan Skipper. Notice I didn't say Vitae's first name because that is terrible and frightening for me at this point. Uh, So it's that offensive line that really protected uh, Jared Goff this year and allowed him to throw for the second most yards in the league. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting that offensive line back in place, I think would be the priority. And the Lions do have some cash. You know, they're only spending $1.4 million in dead money. You know, when you're talking a $240 million, $246 million uh, salary cap, that one point four is, eh, you know, whatever. You know, with what they have signed right now, which is most of their, you know, bigger name players, uh, they still have 61 million to play with, you know, 61 million to work with, to sign 30 free agents. 
you know, and it doesn't even have to be the ones that are there. You've got the guys coming in from the draft, which are going to be slotted salaries. You know, you've got uh, guys to fill holes, you know, on the upper end that you can pull when you have that much cash to work with. You know, they have a bright future. It just needs to be done right. And, you know, when it comes to Detroit, that's the history. Does the front office do it correctly? Or do they, you know, have one decent year and then everything collapses around them? So I'm interested to see how they go into next year. But they do have the potential of fielding a good team next year, you know, despite, you know, having to collect, you know, a lot of those pieces that they're losing in the offseason. Yeah, and I'll just I'll just say, well, first of all, like when you talk about the Lions offensive line, I thought I thought you could have given the Lions offensive line first half offensive MVP in the NFC title game. I mean, oh my gosh, they were <laughs> freaking phenomenal in, in the first half. And then I just want to address uh, Dan Campbell's uh, quote real quick. I mean, for one, I mean, clearly the guy was in his emotions when he said that he, he just came off a, a really, really heartbreaking loss. So understandable <laughs> where he's coming from, but I don't think he's. I don't think he's completely wrong. I mean, you know, to be honest, like I think he does make a fair point in a sense that, um, you know, like when you make it that far teams at that point have, have you figured out and you can't keep running like, you know, the same crap over, over and over and over again. Um, so I think in, in that way, uh, Dan Campbell makes a fair point that yes, it probably is. It will be a lot harder to uh, make it back to the NFC uh, championship game because football is a game of adjustments. It's a game of figuring you out, you know, and pretty much every coach now has uh, figured out Dan Campbell and they're going to figure out Dan Campbell. So this is a true test for Dan Campbell. Like this is, this is the first actual good season that Dan Campbell's had as a head coach. And you know what? Kudos to him. Like um, he built the lines from the ground up and he deserves all the credit in the world. Well, now we're going to see, um, can Dan Campbell actually, actually adjust? Can he, you know, um, can he actually adjust and, uh, uh, God, I'm losing, I am losing my train of thought here, guys. Adjust to the adjustment. Yes. Adjust to the adjustments. My brain, my brain is completely fried. (laughs) Um, but you get what I mean. But, uh, Ed, I think, I think you wanted to add something there. Uh, to your point about the offensive line being the MVP of the first half of the NFC Championship game, uh, one quick stat. Uh, the Lions had 21 dropbacks and 20 rushes in the first half of that game. When you turn it over to the second half, they had 20 dropbacks and eight rushes. That, you know, they had the lead and they were in the second half. What did we talk about a little earlier? Running clock. You know, you know, did they lose faith when Jamar Gibbs dropped that ball on that horrific handoff? Maybe. But you've got to stick with the run when you're, you know, when you have the team, you know, identity built in to mm-hmm. just get after you. You know, you don't sit there and drop back 20, you know, two to one, you know, almost three to one. You know, when you have the lead like that, that's I I just couldn't understand that play calling mentality. I mean, you know? I and I'm with you, Ed, but I I kind of get it in a way because 
I think in that sense, you know, the coaches are thinking, okay, okay, clearly uh, the opposing coaches saw what we did. So we would assume that they're going to adjust so we can't keep running the same plays over and over again. But I guess it also just kind of, you know, falls into the idea of if it ain't broke, don't fix it until you need to fix it. Exactly. And Kyle, Kyle Shanahan knows it just as well. I mean, you run the ball when you have a lead like that, honestly, especially in the second half. I mean, it's it, that one. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that that was such an important thing. Granted, yeah, they might have adjusted to your run game, but it it's still going to take off a good 30 seconds mm-hmm. off the clock every time you run it. Um, but, I mean, yes, there comes a point of urgency where you need first downs, but when that clock's being ran a little bit more, it puts the pressure more on the Niners, where it ended up flip-flopping and it put the pressure on the Lions, and at that point yeah. it ended up being too late. So that's why it's important at that point to really run the ball. But uh, Dan Campbell's comment was pretty accurate because this is the NFL, and that's why we sit here and talk about the greatness of Patrick Mahomes because to do it year in and year out in the NFL like that is very hard to do. And the fact mm-hmm. that he does it with such ease and Andy Reid almost every year – shows you just how great they are so dan campbell is spot on in the nfl it's going to be tough as hell to get back there even to the playoffs not even the nfc championship but the playoffs so um that i think his statement although people will take it out of context because of emotions it, it is a very true statement to even get back there where the, the lions have got especially when it, it's just the first time they've done it i mean it, it had been 30 years that's how tough it is in the nfl to do that 30 plus years for one franchise. Yeah. Uh, real quick here. Um, since the show is, is, you know, since we're going to uh, end soon, um, I do want to bring up something that is off topic and I'm actually kind of surprised we didn't, you know, we didn't really bring it up before. Um, but can we, can we take this time a little bit to just talk about uh, who was it? Zay flowers, I think extending his arm and then that, and then, you know, the, the, the fumble happening, like, all right, let me just say this. It's one thing if the clock is ticking down to zero, the end of the game is about to happen, and that adrenaline is, you know, uh, forcing you to be in desperation mode. In that sense, I get it, okay? But at that point, the Ravens were not in desperation mode. So, Ed, what the hell was Zay Flowers thinking there? Because I don't know. Uh, If I score the touchdown, I get to do the dance and get to be on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, and that's what I think of wide receivers. I mean, am I wrong? You know, they are so about their own spotlight that, you know, they're willing to risk, you know, the ball getting punched out from their hands, you know, just so they can cross the goal line first. You know, so, and that's why we're starting to see all these comments about, you know, we should change the rules about, touchbacks through the back of the end zone and all that type of stuff. Well, you know what? You shouldn't reach your arms out to score and then have the ball knocked out. If your hands are not strong enough to withstand somebody trying to punch at the ball, don't do it. You know, you've got another down. You're It's a first down at the half yard line. I mean, are you really going to not score in that situation? I mean, the actual... Percentage, I think, is I want to say somewhere around seventy-three percent 
where you actually where you do score in that first and goal within the one yard line, uh, if not higher, you know. So just go down and live to play another day, or as Farmer Fran from Waterboy would say, "Live by an arm back." I think you make a, I think you make a great point, Ed. Wide receivers, not all of them, obviously, but generally speaking, they do care more about you know being in the spot spotlight. But what do you what do you think, Matthew? Well, I mean, this isn't like the Deshaun Jackson play where he drops the ball before crossing the goal line. This is a guy who was actually trying to be aggressive, which I'm all for. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't for, you know, was it Sneed that knocked the ball out? I mean, yeah. and, and, and his hand barely got there. It was just picture perfect, right timing. But that would have been a touchdown. It would have crossed the plane, and just think if it was just a quarter second, you know, difference, he would have caught the touchdown and would have been praised. But I get the whole being about yourself and all that. But I, I like the aggressiveness. It's just the unfor- it's 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 the unfortunate thing that can happen by being aggressive, and that's what we mm-hmm. witnessed is that risk that he did take. Uh, he gets the touchdown, he's praised, just like Dan Campbell. You get the fourth down conversion, you're praised. You don't get it, well, you, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're on the chopping block, you know, but that's just how it is. It's ruthless out there. I get the aggressiveness, and and here's the thing. You're on the field, and you're that receiver. I, I'm, I've been there. I was, I was a wide receiver. It's a lot tougher than you think on how you really want to play. That you see the goal line, you're going for the goal line, and that's just kind of how it is. Especially when you're on the field, you don't have a whole lot of room to think as much as you think. You're just trying to score, and unfortunately, it ended up being the case where he lost the ball, and that you know kind of lost the game for them. Among I know them. he'll learn from. It. I mean, Zay Flowers was a rookie this year, right? Wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very, yeah. yeah. He'll, he'll learn from it. Yeah. No, he, he absolutely will. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Chiefs, they're going on the Super Bowl, and so are the 49ers. They did what they needed to do, whereas the teams they faced, unfortunately, did not. They didn't do enough, or they made, you know, too many mistakes. And unfortunately, in the playoffs, you make those mistakes, you're not going to win. And that that's just how it is. Adam Vinatieri, I'm going to say his name again. Guess who didn't make mistakes when it mattered was him. And so they won Super Bowls. And, well, the Chiefs, they make very few mistakes when it comes to the postseason. And we're seeing that with the Niners right now as well. They are very well coached, and they have very, you know, they have stars on their teams. Patrick Mahomes, Christian McCaffrey. So it's going to be one heck of a Super Bowl. We are going to talk about it. We've got plenty of time due to two weeks out. I mean, we we will be talking about it. You better believe that. But, uh, guys. If you could hit that like, that subscribe button, we really appreciate that. Uh, if you could also put in the comments how you're feeling about our show um, and what it pertains to how we even talked about today. What, uh, if you want to talk about the Chiefs, you want to talk about any of these teams, if you agree with Dan Campbell going four on fourth down, if you agree with Zay Flowers reaching hit, reaching the ball out. I mean, these are things that we want to hear from you guys, and so we'd appreciate if you guys go ahead and drop that in the comment sections. But uh, we appreciate all that you guys do, and we're going to continue to give you the best content we can, guys. But until next time, We are rounding third and we are headed for home.